Hey there, friends. Welcome back to No More Silos, uh, Season 2, Episode 2. My name is Erica Santiago, and this is my podcast about cultural Christianity. And uh, the reason I call it No More Silos really has to do with the fact that uh, we live in a society today, in a culture today, where our information is siloed. In other words, it's compartmentalized. We live our lives compartmentalized. We live, uh, we get our information in silos. And so we don't know how, all the time, how to connect the dots from history to uh what's going on in our culture to what we believe as Christians, if you are a Christian. Um, So I'm assuming that if you're listening to this, you're interested at the very least in Christianity. And so I hope that I'm not saying or doing anything that would uh, cause you to not want to be a Christian anymore or but uh, welcome, welcome, welcome. Everyone is welcome here. You know, the funny thing about uh, Christianity is that uh, it has been a part of of culture um, around the world for nearly 2,000 years, or a little bit over 2,000 years, and, and has been a part of culture consistently for 2,000 years. And one of the things that, that happens when you have uh, a religion that is part of a culture worldwide in this way uh, for 2,000 years is everybody's got a different take on things. And so here at No More Silos, what we try to do is help you apply the same uh, the same requirements or skill set for reading the Bible, interpreting scripture uh, to life in general. So in our last episode, we kind of broke down uh, what c- critical race theory was. And then I gave you five books, five books that I recommended for reading. And the first book, which is what we're going to uh, talk a little bit about today by Pete Scazzaro, is called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. And it's subtitled, Moving from Shallow Christianity to Deep Transformation. You know, one of the challenges that that we have uh, as Christians is that our our objective is to go out and make disciples. But sometimes we spend a little bit more time on the going part and less time on the making disciples part. And the making disciples part is actually uh, the more important part of the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28 in the Bible in Matthew's gospel. Um, The Great Commission is uh, shared about five different times, five different ways in the New Testament uh, that are easily identifiable. But the main one that we spend more of our time quoting is the one from Matthew, uh, the version in Matthew 28, because you know all four Gospels, uh, Jesus, uh, they quote Jesus in those Gospel accounts. And so sometimes, you know, the same thing happens if I'm sitting in a lecture and you're sitting in the same lecture, we may uh, quote the speaker a little differently each time. And so that's kind of the difference between the Gospels. But here at No More Silos, what I really want to focus on in today's episode is that part about discipleship. What is a disciple? What is discipleship? A disciple, the way I cover it in Bible study usually is this. A disciple is someone that follows another person, follows their philosophy, uh, believes what they're saying, wants to be just like them. And so sometimes you could have a uh, disciple of a uh, rock band or a disciple of a particular speaker or lecturer. But Paul, in his letters, the Apostle Paul, in his letters, often said, 
follow me as I follow Jesus. So don't just do what I do. Don't be a disciple of Paul. Be a disciple of Christ. Be a disciple of Jesus. And so as Christians, that's what we all strive to do. We strive to uh, point others to Christ, not me, but him. And in, in so doing here at No More Silos, I wanted to talk a little bit about the uh context of what it means to be an emotionally healthy disciple, according to to Pete's definition, and also just in general, some uh, things that that I think culture uh, shields, hides, redirects, um, causes us to kind of miss the cue (laughs) on it uh, when it comes to discipleship, to following Jesus. And so uh, I recently came across uh, another article that, and there's so many articles and so many books. I mean, I I think I mentioned in the last episode, I have a whole shelf full of books just on discipleship and spiritual formation. But how do we connect all those dots so that it's relevant, so that it it makes sense? How do we do do that in our world today? Uh, Because people are not just looking for information anymore. All the current studies from Barna and others uh, are all pointing to folks are looking for transformation. They're not looking just for information. They're looking for how can I be transformed? Um, how can I have a heart change? How can I, what does it really mean to repent? What does that look like? How do I live my life differently and, and convince the people around me that they should too in following Christ? What does that really look like? And so here's a couple of definitions uh, that I came across for what is a disciple. A disciple is a person who has decided that the most important thing in their life is to learn how to do what Jesus said to do. Uh, And that definition was by Dallas Willard. Another one uh, by an Argentinian pastor, Juan Carlos Ortiz, uh, is discipleship is more than getting to know what the teacher knows. It is getting to be what he is. Uh, So discipleship is more than getting to know what the teacher knows. It is getting to know what he is. And so in Matthew 28, when Jesus says, go and make disciples, teaching them to obey my commands. And what did Jesus command us to do? He commanded us to love God, to love one another, and then to love others. And Jesus even says in John 13, this is how you will know who my disciples are by how they love. And so the latest book that I've read on discipleship is Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, Moving from Shallow Christianity to Deep Transformation by Pete Scazzaro. And I want to share a few things with you about the book um, because I, I really want to encourage you, especially if you are find yourself in church leadership or in a position of leading a discipleship group or a small group at your church, um, I think it's going to be important for you to uh to be able to contextualize this information, but also see the roadblocks that are presented in our culture that uh, cause us to fail um, at discipleship. So where does Pete begin? Let's start with his definition for what an emotionally healthy disciple looks like. He says uh, on page 26 of his book, an emotionally healthy disciple slows down to be with Jesus goes beneath the surface of their life to be deeply transformed by Jesus and offers their life as a gift to the world for Jesus. And I like that definition. An emotionally healthy disciple slows down to be with Jesus, goes beneath the surface of their life to be deeply transformed by Jesus and offers their life as a gift to the world 
for Jesus. And so when we think about discipleship, a disciple is a person who has decided that the most important thing in their life is to learn how to do what Jesus said to do, or is uh, it's more than getting to know what the teacher knows, it's getting to be what he is. That requires us uh, automatically to have to slow down. It requires us uh, to have to be deeply transformed. Uh, it requires us to offer our own life uh, as a gift to others um, it, it, to, uh, so that they can see the Jesus in us, that it's, it's that they're not following us, they're not following Erica, they're following Jesus. So, but, but he begins the book with this, the four failures that undermine deep discipleship. And what's interesting that uh, he starts with these four things that that undermine discipleship. They're all things that many of us who have been followers of Jesus have seen and witnessed and experienced. And so he goes into a great bit of detail about the four four failures. Let me share with you what they are. Uh, Number one, we tolerate emotional immaturity. Number two, we emphasize doing for God over being with God. Three, we ignore the treasures of church history. Four, we define success wrongly. Uh, we have a, a wrong view of success. What is success? And so I find that very, very interesting. All four of those literally could be, and, and they are, if you follow um, the Emotionally Healthy uh spirituality podcast, he actually gives a good 30-minute talk on all of the chapters in this book. Um, I don't think he's quite through yet. He's been releasing one a week, and um, I forgot what he's up to, or which uh, chapter he's up to, but each one he expounds upon. I encourage you to take a moment to, to listen to that. That's free, although I encourage you to get the book um, so that you have that in front of you. But if you just want to hear him explain it, um, he does that on his podcast, kind of giving an overview of that. Uh, after he talks about the four things that aren't working in discipleship programs in uh, in the church, in the Western church, uh, he talks about the seven marks of healthy discipleship. What does healthy discipleship actually look like? So first he says, here's, what, here's what's not working, um, and here's why <laughs> it's not working. And then he says, okay, now I'm going to spend some time talking to you or re- uh, showing you what it does look like to do it healthy, to what he's seen work in his, in his context. So here's the seven marks of healthy discipleship. Be before you do. Uh, follow the crucified, not the Americanized Jesus. Embrace God's gift of limits. Uh, discover the treasures buried in grief and loss. Make love the measure of maturity. Break the power of the past. And number seven, lead out of weakness and vulnerability. And boy, can we go deep in any one of those. But that's not our objective today. Today, we're going to kind of give an overview of discipleship with this as our starting point. Um, Included in the appendix of the book is the Nicene Creed and his vision for a church culture revolution that offers a practical application of discipleship as presented in the book. Um, I'll talk about why creeds are important. I think in the next episode, uh, episode three, I have outlined as our episode on the value of history. Um, so we'll talk about that, uh, that because one of the things that, and we talked about this in the last episode and in earlier episodes here on No More Silos, a lot of times we think something is new in our culture today um, that actually isn't. Um, For example, the feminism movement of the 1970s um, 
is not new from the 1970s. It's actually, you know, a replay of earlier feminist movements. Um, so, yeah, so it's, it's not new. I mean, Ecclesiastes, Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, there's nothing new under the sun. So those of you who are old school church, you kind of, you've heard those things before. Some people won't be surprised, but others have been contextualizing uh, some of the discussion about uh, what is biblical womanhood and, and women uh, women's role in the church, the evangelical church in particular, um, saying that it's a slippery slope from something that started 40 years ago or 50 years ago. Um, yeah, not really. It's if you call the last two thousand years a slippery slope, go ahead. But anyway, uh, and the creed is valuable, I think, because uh, what he points out here, and I find very useful that he has the creed there, is because that's how the early church taught discipleship. Uh, because for the first three centuries, uh, three and a half centuries of the early church, they didn't have the Bible as we know it. And because they didn't have a literal copy of scripture and all the churches, a lot of it was, and we might have a letter here or a copy of a letter here or one of the gospels there, or somebody who remembers or somebody whose grandmother knew somebody who knew somebody else who saw the resurrection, saw Jesus after the resurrection. And it was an eyewitness account. And so for years, people didn't have access to what is it that they believe? And and I like the slogan over at the Jude 3 Project, know what you believe and why. Why do you believe what you believe? Why do I believe what I believe? What do I believe? And so a lot of denominations uh, in both the Catholic world and the Protestant world recite as part of their liturgy um, the, uh, the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed uh, so that members can be very knowledgeable and clear on what it is we believe. But there are some churches today where that is a foreign concept. And so the only thing they know about what they believe is what the pastor tells them. And if the pastor says that the Bible says uh, that women can't lead or, or that uh, black people are inferior or, or that uh, people who are not uh, of European descent are inferior or uh, teaches, wants to teach that uh, Jesus was a white man, then, you know, hey, that's what you have to go on, right? Instead of the creed, which is how the ancient Christians, the early Christians actually uh, solidified, codified what their beliefs. So I think that that's useful in a book on discipleship. So the Great Commission tells us to make disciples. Discipleship, or another way that I like to refer to it, because in Bible study, one of the things I point out is discipleship is a churchy word. Nobody uses discipleship outside of the church. Um, In fact, um, a better word, I think, is uh, found in Ephesians 4, uh, where Paul writes that we are equipping the saints for ministry. We are equipping followers of Jesus to make new followers of Jesus, or simply to grow myself as a follower of Jesus, with the goal of becoming more like him as what I'm trying to do here when it comes to to growing as a disciple. Um, It's not a one-and-done endeavor. Uh, I think I'm starting to see more and more in things I read on discipleship uh, online that people are starting to recognize that church assimilation uh, programs where you take, you know, you have two or three weeks or four to six weeks of classes to assimilate to Christianity, to assimilate to that church, to that local church, are insufficient as discipleship programs. It's super easy to become a Christian. The challenging part is growing as a disciple because that's what Jesus told us to do. I mean, think about it. He spent three years with his disciples and then let them go. 
And we're talking about, you know, an average church in America, well, we're going to do two or three or or three to six weeks of classes that's going to kind of get you acclimated. Um, so really, it's more like a corporate onboarding structure is what we typically do in our churches. Um so yeah, so that there, there's that. And then if you Google discipleship, everybody has a systemic process to suggest how to make disciples. But what I like about the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship book is that while it's also kind of a system or systematic in its approach, it quickly becomes clear that discipleship is about our individual ability to navigate relationships well. Because if you're not good at navigating relationships well or not willing to grow in that area of your life, then it's really hard to disciple others. And then what you get is you get the, you know, the the Karens of Christianity, as they say, Uh, you know, those mean people that that throw Bibles at you or shout uh, Bible verses at you out of context um, and tell you that you're going to hell and it's like okay can can we focus on being like loving and kind and uh earning my trust (laughs) and 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 maybe we all grow together but anyway i digress so one of the things he talks about in here is that ability to navigate relationships Um, and he talks about it from the the context of of making love the measure of maturity. And from there, I kind of want to point out 1 Corinthians 13. We don't have to read it now. You can read it on your own. But many of you are familiar with 1 Corinthians 13. It ends with the phrase, and the greatest of these is love. And it starts off with, uh, when I was a child, um, I did dumb things. But now that I'm an adult, and what Paul is, is writing to the church at Corinth, and I'm probably going to do a whole teaching on just that that chapter um, and I'll post it on our Facebook page but what he's writing to the church at Corinth was just trying to get them to understand like here's what spiritual maturity looks like measure it based on love it's not just our favorite wedding ceremony poem. It's really about spiritual maturity and relationships in general. Um, and so now imagine if you're trying to convince somebody that Jesus is the answer. If you set love as your bar, then great. Now we've, we've, we've removed that silo. One thing that 2020 taught me as a church leader is that we've been measuring the wrong things. Uh, you know, we take attendance every Sunday. Uh, we get excited if we see, you know, one or two or 10 or 20, uh, depending upon your church size, where you're starting from, uh, you know, jumps in numbers. Um, but attendance numbers or people just showing up on Sunday is not really an indicator of spiritual growth or discipleship. It's not even an indicator of engagement. Uh, we could have thousands of people or hundreds of people watching our online service and that doesn't really tell us if they're listening because, I mean, if you're like me, you do other things while you're listening to anything online. Um, even if the TV's on in the background, I might be washing dishes um, it, or cooking something or, uh, you know, or my kids walk up to me and interrupt me. So it's not necessarily, there, there's really no indicator of spiritual growth just off of numbers. So we have to go back as a church uh, in the West and really kind of rethink what it is that we're doing. And in the last few years, there's been a trend towards focusing on engagement, focusing on are people really engaged? How do you measure engagement? You can measure engagement based on giving. You can measure engagement based, not on how much they give, but how frequently um, 
the uh, you can measure uh, engagement based on participation, volunteerism. But since the pandemic, uh, that has been challenging for a lot of churches to uh, translate. Uh, you know ushering people to their seats or, or making coffee or, or uh, you know, directing traffic in the parking lot to something online. Although many of us have figured out, you know, online hosts are helpful and, um, of course, you need somebody to edit the videos. And, of, and, the, and the worship band, of course, is still necessary. So, you know, but what I've learned in the last year is that engagement allows us to equip it allows us to equip believers to grow, and but more importantly, engagement is a two-way street. And so while this podcast is kind of one way, and I do encourage you to send me emails at podcast uh, to podcast at ericasantiago.com or engage me on Instagram uh, at Cultural Christianity or Facebook at Cultural Christianity, um, it's a two-way street, um, which means that I have to be in some kind of relationship with you in order to be successful or even moderately successful in discipling you. I can post all the videos and all the content on our website and social media platforms, but if people aren't interested or ready to grow, I can't really make them. Um, So then I ask the question, what are the barriers to growth? Uh, How do we transcend the silos of information or compartmentalization of our lives such that church stuff isn't only on Sunday and then only if I don't have brunch plans? How do people engage to be transformed? Paul writes to the church at Rome about renewing our minds so that our hearts can be transformed, and having access to historical truth, in my opinion, is a great starting point. In fact, he talks about that, Paul does, in the book of Romans, in his letter to the church at Rome. Uh, Sometimes we focus too much on, on Romans as being a book, but remember, it was a letter. He wrote a letter. It was a long letter, uh, 16 chapters is the way we've divided it out now, but uh, he wrote a letter. Uh, and, and it's a theological treatise. It explains things both from the Gentile perspective and from the Jewish perspective. Um, and so having access to the historical truth is a great starting point for transformation, but also having a better working definition of what it means to be a healthy disciple of Christ matters as well. And that's why I like the, uh, the definition that Pete starts out with. Um, he talks about it as an emotionally healthy disciple slows, slows down to be with Jesus, goes beneath the surface of their life to, deeply, to be deeply transformed by Jesus, and offers their life as a gift to the world for Jesus. So a few years ago, um, we did a series at our church about the gathering. Um, we called it ecclesia, which is the uh, Greek word for gathering or assembly, which is really the word that was translated to church in English. And somehow or another, you know, in the merry world of, of translation uh, got translated into church building. And so people got caught up in all of that, which in the last year, we realized the church is not the building. The church is the people. So I think that's kind of interesting coming around full circle. But anyway, um, I went back and looked at my notes of some of the, thing, the things that I talked about in the week. That was my turn to, to talk to our, our church on this topic. And I talked about idols. I talked about disciples versus believers. I talked about a few other things, but I also talked about what does it mean to put God first in our lives. And so just as a kind of a review of some of those things that I talked about, what is an idol? An idol is anything that distracts you from God. It is uh, something that you are intentionally putting your putting in front of God. So in, in the 
Ten Commandments, one of the first commandments is, Thou shalt not have any other gods before me, right? Well, when Jesus summed up the Ten Commandments in the two greatest commandments before he gave us his third, he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul. And that sums up the first five commandments, which has to do the very first one being idolatry. Don't put anything else in front of God. If I love God with all my heart, my mind, and my soul, my whole being, then I am not intentionally putting my own desires before the will of God in my life. A believer knows the will of God, yet intentionally chooses their own desires instead. Uh, That believer is expressing an idolatry in their heart. They're saying, you know what? I'm going to do what I want to do, not what God has for me. Um, and that's why we have the, you know, oft quoted uh, Jesus saying, you know, not your will be done, uh, not my will, but your will be done, right? It's it's about putting God first. But what's distracting you that's making it hard for you to, um, to not have idols in your life? What's distracting you uh, from the will of God? And so I talked a little bit about that. And if you want to read a lot about idolatry and how that plays out, uh, John Bevere wrote a book called Killing Kryptonite a few years back, and I think he does a, did a great job explaining the idols because that's what the kryptonite is. Uh, disciples versus believers. You will know my disciples by how they love. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. That's what John uh, quotes Jesus as having said in chapter 13, verse 35 in the New Testament. Throughout the New Testament, the Gospels, uh, Acts of the Apostles, uh, all the letters, people heard the Gospel and they believed. But the church was built by disciples who were devoted, united, and loved. And so when you think about the disciples, it's not just the 12, the, first, the 12 disciples. Jesus actually had 70 disciples. Remember in Luke chapter 10, he sends them out. The 70 get sent out. They were called disciples too. But somehow or another, we've, got, we, we've limited it just to the 12 that were closest to Jesus. And that's not actually an accurate representation of, of, of disciples in the New Testament. Everybody that followed uh, really were working on being disciples, being devoted, being united, um, expressing their love for one another um, so that they that would prove to the world that they were disciples of Jesus. So what's the difference between a believer and a disciple? Well, I think at a, it's a level of commitment. A disciple is convinced. A disciple, get this, great commission here, a disciple teaches others what they believe. Um, According to the dictionary, they accept and assist in spreading the doctrines of another. So the Great Commission in Matthew 28 says to go out and make disciples. There are lots of eyewitnesses to Jesus' resurrection, so it's not a stretch to believe. However, the rubber hits the road with discipleship. A believer is one who accepts the word or evidence as true. I believe it happened. But wholehearted conviction of something as fact will move you, will transform you to tell others, to share other, share with others. Think about how we have communicated this past year about systemic racism, how we've communicated this past year about, um, uh, about politics. Uh, when you believe something as true, you tell others, and you don't care about the consequences. Uh, so it's if you're you're convinced. So a disciple is someone who is is definitely convinced and moved to act on what it is that they uh, they believe. Uh, 
three words that I often talk about in our Bible studies that I always bring up are orthodoxy, orthopathy, and orthopraxy, beliefs, attitude, and actions. Uh, Orthodoxy or beliefs translates into your worldview. That's your starting point. That's your filter that everything you do, say, believe, uh, operate, flows through. If I believe that all people are made in the image of God, then I start there uh, and, and automatically everything I do and say flows from that. My orthopathy is my attitude about things, my thoughts, how I think about people. Um, and that's why Paul writes uh, in uh, Philippians in the, to the church of Philippi, you know, think on these good things, think these good thoughts. I call it the Peter Pan verse because, you know, if you think happy thoughts, you get to fly. Um, orthopraxy, actions, what you do proves what you believe. What did Jesus tell us to do? He told us to love. Love God, love others, love one another. Um, and, there's, and there's a distinct difference between the other and the one another. One another is inclusive. Um, so one another, the people in my local church, in my family, in my tribe, um, Loving others are the people who are outside of that context, who may not know Christ, who may not care, and that's okay. Still love them. doesn't give us license to not love them if they're not part of our tribe or our, our church community or even uh, they're not Christian. We still have to love them. That's what Jesus told us to do. So Matthew twenty eight eighteen says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So what does it mean to put God first in our lives? Okay, so we're the church. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. We're teachable and we teach others. We love and we love others. We put God first in our lives. You can't disciple, though, without a relationship. And that's the thing about emotionally healthy discipleship, moving from shallow Christianity to deep transformation. If I can't connect with you on some level in a relationship, I can't disciple you. Therefore, I'm not doing what it is that we're supposed to be doing as the body of Christ, as the church. Uh, We exist, we're gathering, um, we're the ecclesia in unity and love and relationship, devoted to God, seeking first the kingdom of God. How do you build relationships, though, if you're not around, if you're not connected with others? And what we learned in 2020 is that we don't necessarily have to be physically connected. We can be on Zoom, we can be on social media, we can FaceTime one another. There's so many ways to connect and and be in relationship with people. We just have to do it. How do we allow, or do we allow, our earthly distractions to keep us from moving towards God instead of pulling us away from God? And that's why I mentioned idolatry in the the context of discipleship, because a lot of times we think of idolatry as building some kind of little statue and bowing down in front of it. And that's really not what idolatry is. I mean, it kind of is and isn't, but it's not. In a Christian context, in the way that it's used in in the Bible, really it's not about what it is that we, as as Christians, what we are... uh, physically putting in front of God, but really it is about what we are figuratively putting in front of our relationship with God. Um, And it's not about doing more for God. 
It's about giving God more access so he can do more in us. That's a quote from Christine Kane that I pulled off of uh, social media one day um, around the time that I was putting those notes together. It's not about our doing more for God. It's about giving God more access so he can do more in us. What's interesting is, is that, that there's a whole chapter on that in emotionally healthy discipleship, being before you do, being with Jesus before you do for Jesus. Um, that's something that I'm literally working on as we speak. Um, I have workaholic tendencies. I like to go, go, go and get things done. And I'm uh, gifted administratively. I teach project management in the secular world um, in in my gifting there uh, as a teacher. And so I like to get things done, but sometimes I have to stop and remind myself that I need to pause and just be with Jesus. And that might be reading um, a daily proverb or reading a psalm or listening to a psalm being read to me using the Bible app. It might be just sitting in silence um, outside in my backyard or sitting in silence just in a room in my house uh, to just really pause and make uh, make time for God. Something I said uh, in the sermon that I that I shared or the message that I shared about four years ago was and it and the interesting thing is is it showed up in my Facebook memories today. So the day I'm recording this, I'm recording this today right now. It is March 14th, um, and uh, not March, uh, May 14th. I don't know what day it is. It's a pandemic. Uh, there's a pandemic going on. Um, it is May 14th, 2021, as I record this, and this showed up in my memories. A friend of mine took a picture of me uh, on stage and and put in the comment caption what I must have said, because it's not in my notes, but (laughs) apparently I said this. One of the quickest ways to get frustrated as a Christian is to try to live wholly on your own, on our own. We are meant to do this together with other believers. We have to build each other up and hold each other accountable in love. And apparently I said that, and I thought that was really good. And I was like, you know what, let me copy and paste that and put it in my notes for the podcast today, because one of the quickest ways to get frustrated as a Christian is to try to live wholly on our own. We are meant to do this together with other believers. We have to build each other up and hold each other accountable in love. But if you're trying to do this on your own, or you're trying to do this in isolation, or you're trying to do this uh, in a way that... that uh, you, you're not allowing yourself or not allowing God to grow you emotionally, to become both emotionally and spiritually mature, um, that you're, you're living life in a silo. So you don't know what, you don't care about history and you're, you're okay stopping at 50 years ago and saying, Oh, the world is coming crashing down around us because these things are happening in society. And, you know, and the rest of us who are history nerds are walking around going, yeah, it's happening again. Okay. It's happening again. So what do we learn about the response that humans had the last time this happened? How do we fix that, do better this time? Um, So it's like, you know, to me, life is like a video game. You know, you try to move up to the next level. uh, You make mistakes along the way. When you get knocked down at level three, you go back to the beginning of level three and you go, you know what? I remember where that pitfall is. I'm going to avoid that this time so I can get to level four. It's hard to do all of this in isolation. It's hard to do what we need to do uh, to follow Jesus uh, when we don't actually engage him in our whole lives. And that's what No More Silos is about. It's like 
tearing down those barriers. So how, uh, how does all this remove the barriers of discipleship? Uh, well, we're going to talk about this in our next episode uh, in more depth, but uh, three things that come to mind immediately is Imago Dei. We're all made in the image of God. But what does that really mean? Uh, In Genesis, in the beginning of the Bible, in the Old Testament, it talks about God creating the world. And when he created humans in his image, and he was like, this is good. I created humans in my image. What does that actually mean? We'll talk about that um, next week because urban apologetics deep dives into into dignity, into Imago Dei. Um, But another thing that comes up, and this shows up in emotionally healthy discipleship, but it also shows up in the making of biblical womanhood, is biblical creeds. You know, how did early Christians teach one another according to the Great Commission? How did we teach uh, the new disciples to obey all the commands that Jesus gave us? Well, a lot of times it was through a creed, memorizing a creed, which is a short version, something that people could memorize. Um, Sometimes being in a silo means that we're not all on the same page or not all working from the same set of definitions. And so we'll talk about that uh, in our next episode. And then other Number three is patriarchy versus racism. One of the things that has is abundantly clear, and um, Pete Scazzaro has a chapter about you know not following the crucified Jesus, not the Americanized Jesus. But I would take it a step further, and that's why I talk about um, I, I like urban apologetics and the making of biblical womanhood so much because a lot of times we talk in silos about. Patriarchy. We talk in a silo about systemic racism, not realizing that the same Bible verses used for for both to sustain both in our culture in our society, um, they they overlap. <laughs> so so verses that that were like anti woman were also uh, anti black people. Um, so we have to to see how those overlap and understand that better. So that when we're talking to someone who might say, oh, your church is woke and that's bad, or your church uh, follows critical race theory and that's bad. And uh, it really, it's like, well, can we talk about what your definitions are? Like, where are you getting this from and, and why? So, uh, and, and as I'm speaking today, there's Christian news media, even in mainstream news media, is talking about an, a, a mega church that is a Southern Baptist congregation that ordained three women for the first time last weekend. And this is like big news. Now, if you're part of a mainstream Protestant denomination that's been ordaining women for years and, and hundreds of years, and you're scratching your head going, what are those people down south doing? Um, well, in, in the Southern Baptist uh, organization, it's kind of against their rules. Um, and it's drawn some you know good and bad commentary from folks on social media trying to understand why. And we'll talk about that too. But that's what's going on in the news as I'm talking right now. Well, Christian media, really, because mainstream news, I don't even think they mentioned it. Um, so in our next episode, I want to talk about uh, some of the barriers, um, begin talking about some of the barriers I see to discipleship in the church today, especially for women and people of color, because I'm, I'm kind of a history nerd, so I'm going to start with the historical access to truth and how it's presented in silos both inside the church and out in our culture and society in general, um, but specifically how this affects our ability to properly frame histor- history um, 
and properly frame what is truly historical Christianity. Um, Now, I go into that in great detail a few episodes back in season one, so definitely check that out. But Urban Apologetics by Dr. Eric Mason and The Making of Biblical Womanhood by Beth Allison Barr are two of the books that we're going to be discussing next time. They start with dignity, they talk about transformation, and historical access to truth. So, Thank you again. My name is Erica Santiago. Thank you for joining me today on No More Silos. Uh, This is Season 2, Episode 2. Follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Cultural Christianity. Uh, Follow uh, or send me an email if you have questions. Podcast at Erica with a K, -K E-R-I-K-A, ericasantiago.com. Thanks for joining us, and I'll put links to anything uh, that I mentioned in today's episode in the show notes for you. Uh, But again, if you have questions, shoot me an email. I'd love to uh, chat away with you. Have a great day. Thanks for joining me on No More Silos.